So today's class is How Do I Know the Will of God? When we talk about this particular subject, we probably would all agree that there is no lack of ideas out there. And if you've been in ministry long enough, and even in talking to Christians, I have found a plethora of answers are given when somebody determines or decides how God's will is determined. Here's what I find a lot of times. A lot of times I'll say, well, God spoke to me. God told me. Um, And I always wonder if they have a little red phone in their house or something, or maybe there's a hotline or something. And when I hear that, typically what I'm hearing is, this is really what I want to do. Now, here again, I don't want to be glib, and I certainly understand that there are people that make a statement like that, well, God told me or whatever, that are sincere in what they say. Um, But that kind of a statement can be sincerely misleading when it comes to really understanding the will of God. What are some of the other ways that you think people often determine the will of God? Let's just throw it out for a minute. What what are some of the things you've heard or any suggestions that you have on, on what you've heard of determining the will of God? Signs and happenstance. Okay, signs and happenstance, right. Yeah, like this would have never happened if God didn't want me to walk through this door. You know. Um, and you wouldn't believe, as soon as I made this decision, God just blessed me like crazy. Yeah, circumstances are huge, aren't they? Um, and there's one underlying tone to all of this, and we're going to kind of narrow it down. We're going to funnel it down, because there's one underlying characteristic that we see in most everything that is determined to be the will of God when it may or may not be. What else do we see? That's a, that's a good one. Anybody else want to take a stab at that? The dreams. Dreams, okay. People dream in the Bible, and, and so, you know, we know that, you know, we look in the book of Daniel or other places, and we see there are, is legitimacy to those dreams, isn't there, that God spoke in a dream? So I'm not wanting to be unscriptural here, but we often de- will determine by dreams you know, like, I just had this, you know, so that, that's, that's something we hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, uh, I, I went to a faith assembly church, and yeah. there was a pastor there, and he said that a lot of times we interpret our own minds wrong sometimes, because he says that there are three voices in your mind. There's a negative voice, there's a positive voice, and your voice is usually the one in the middle going, yeah, what do I do? So you have to listen to those voices because everybody knows uh, good from bad. Because mm-hmm. even a five-year-old kid knows when it's done wrong. So he says, but the voices you hear in your head, you have to be careful. Yeah, so the voices you hear in your head, right, like there's God sitting on one shoulder, yeah. Satan sitting on the other yeah. shoulder, and you're kind of in the middle getting bounced back. Well, there could be some theological truth to that. Certainly Satan is the great tempter and the father of lies, so... And there definitely is uh, persuasion towards evil. So I think there's, there's some truth to that. And I appreciate that. And, uh, and then there are times when, you know, there are other people that are going to decide the will of God for you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, remember Job's three friends? Well, Job, obviously, you know, you're, you're missing the mark. I mean, so, I mean, we get that too. But the one thing I think is we look down, uh, and this is the problems that those who counsel face. And this is what I want you to keep in mind. Because no matter what you hear, if you're trying to help somebody determine the will of God, 
and you don't hear it right, one of the things you're always going to usually pick up is that most people are determining the will of God more on feelings than they are the facts of God's word. In other words, what you're going to hear, the tone that's going to be very similar between everybody you counsel is going to be a more of an emotional, relational, um, subjective kind of pull um, used to determine the will of God. And the reason that this is important is because um, the facts then of God's word are subordinated to second place. It's like, here's my circumstances, here's how I feel, this is what's happened, that's going to be the primary driving source of what I decide, and oh, then by the way, when the caboose goes by, where God's word is sitting, I'll just look at it then. And I want to suggest that we have that backwards. You know, certainly I don't want to minimize, and and be careful here, I don't want to minimize the impact of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does speak to us in that sense. The Holy Spirit brings us conviction, isn't it true? When we see sin, or when we're offended, we feel the presence of the Holy Spirit convicting us. So I don't want to pull emotions out of this. Listen, God gave us emotions, and they're wonderful things. But the thing is, we have to harness and control those emotions through the truth of Scripture. In other words, it is the truth of Scripture that always should drive our emotions, right? So what happens is, is we get the train moving backwards. You know, when we put the caboose where the engine should be, and we put the engine where the caboose should be. So we have to be careful that when we talk to people that we're trying to discern, okay, are you... Are you basing primarily your decisions or your, your desire for God's will on your subjective things, on emotional things, on circumstantial things? Or have you used the word of God first primarily and then uh, brought that to the Lord in prayer? I've now, heard, I've heard it say when people say, uh, God told me, he says, what book, chapter, and verse of the Bible? See, that's it, and that's a good thing. So, and I'll always say that too, and I always want to try to be kind, you know, because I don't want to be demeaning to people. Right. You know, it's a very sincere thing that most people really want to know the will of God. And I'll tell you, there have been many times where I'm not sure what the will of God is. Any of you guys ever been in that circumstance? And I've searched the scriptures and I prayed we're going to talk about that. So, but, but George is right, you know, that it's always good to say, you know, why don't, we, why don't we stand on the word of God and let's see what we can learn there. And let's see if we can't apply that to your situation. Now, notice, first of all, the excuses for not using the Bible in decisions. All right, there are a lot of Ways and, and unfortunately, a lot of Christians use these excuses, which is always surprising to me. But what are the excuses that we often hear for not using the Bible? Well, first of all, they'll say that the Bible has nothing to say about everyday decisions. The Bible has nothing to say. You know, that book was written 2,000 years ago, and, you know, this was great for Moses, and, you know, it's great for Daniel, but, you know, what, my, you know I don't ride around in chariots anymore, and, you know, we don't uh, stick to the Mosaic dietary laws. And so they have this idea that the Bible is, is, has nothing to say. I want to suggest the Bible has everything to say. I think the Bible is more relevant today than it ever was. I don't think it could have been more relevant the day it was finished than it is today. So we really make a huge mistake when we discount the importance and the power of Scripture and when we decide that that's more of a secondary resource or perhaps it's not a resource at all. The second thing we see is that 
There is additional revelation available in the form of visions or dreams or feelings or circumstances, and this is what we just talked about. And because we have additional information, we have a tendency to think that that is really to be our primary source. And the secular world has convinced us that that's true. Now, I want to suggest another thing that at least it's new to be me being as old as I am. And we won't say how old that is. I'm, I'm actually kind of in the middle young age, right? Don't answer that. Um, the technology we have today. You know, our science and advancements in science and technology have often been uh, crowned king of the day when it comes to deciding things. Because we, and what does that do? Let me tell you what it does. It subtly makes us think that man is a lot smarter than he really is. Man is dumber today than he's ever been. Man is more depraved, or just as depraved today as he's ever been. All of our technology and all of our advancements have not changed the human heart. It is still desperately wicked. And outside of Christ, it is totally depraved. No matter how technological we get. The world's problems are never going to be solved through the genius and intellect of man. Amen? Yeah. Right? No? We don't agree? Amen. Amen. All right. Very good. Thank you. I know that's an old-fashioned word, but it works, doesn't it? I mean, or we could go righto, okay? Righto or something. I don't know. Amen. Amen. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. So let's, uh, let's, if we're going to use the Bible, why are they wrong? Okay, well, someone look up 1 Peter 1.3 and then have somebody look up um, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, Revelation 22, 18, and 19. Can we, uh, okay, 1 Peter 1, 3. Why is that thinking wrong? Go ahead. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, so what do we see there that gives us confidence? How would you paraphrase that? Jeremy. Um, there was a he had a plan to rescue us and he acted it out. Okay, that's part of it. Anybody want to add to that? Oh, living hope, sorry. Uh, yeah, there you go. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I love the word living there. That adds a kind of a new dimension, doesn't it? Kind of a new meaning. He is our living hope. We have a living hope, okay? In other words, something that's living is not dead. Right? And if it's a living hope, that means that it's current, right? We don't talk about any of us in the past tense because we're still here. So we have a living hope. And so what does that mean? That if God's word is binding and God gives us a living hope, then there is no insufficiency in Scripture, is there? And this is just, I realize we don't have time to chase each one of these things down. We could with just many, many verses. But what I want you to see here is that for those that would tell you, well, the Bible's just not sufficient. It just really doesn't address. I, I have been a counselor for many, 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 many years, and I have never heard one case where I would say, well, the Bible has nothing to say to you. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Never heard this one before. Don't know how to help you. Mm -hmm. Now, you're right. I mean, I see your name in there, but... The Bible can help you. Okay. How about 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17? We know this one. Who's got that one? Go ahead. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, 
for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All right, Revelation 22, 18 and 19. Don't be shy. Josh? Sure. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of this uh, the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Okay, so let me work with a few comments backwards, starting in Revelation. There's often an argument like, well, if we enter the words only of Revelation, right, that's when we're going to get in trouble. Listen, whether John meant all of Revelation or the whole Bible, it really doesn't matter. We don't add to God's word. God's word is complete, right? The point is, it, it's, it's a ridiculous argument. Um, I wouldn't want to add or take away from anything that the Bible says, would you? And so we see far from being insufficient, if the word of God is inspired, all scripture is inspired, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, and profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's pretty inclusive. So if we're going to believe that that's true, then when it comes to the will of God, we can't say, oh, accept the will of God. Wasn't that in 2 Timothy 3.18? No. We don't see that, right? So we see the importance of that. Now, where we often get into trouble is we fail to define the different aspects of God's will. The different aspects of God's will. Number two, God's will has different aspects. And when we talk about understanding or trying to discern the will of God, we have to think about the different aspects of God's will. And first of all, we have to talk about what we would call his directive will. What do we mean when we say directive will? Okay, the Ten Commandments, those imperatives, right? Like if I gave you a directive, I would not be giving you a suggestion, right? So when we talk about God's directive will, what we're talking about are those things that God commands. We're talking about those things that are, in a sense, non-negotiable. Now, man does have a free will and responsibility along with God's sovereignty in many areas, doesn't he? But there are many things where God gives us a directive will, where we can say it's yes or no, there's no, there's no room to think about it, is what I'm saying. For example, the moral will of God, okay? We are to hunger and thirst after righteousness. There is no discussion that ever needs to be had over issues of immorality. So when I hear a young couple come to me and say, oh, pastor, I'm in love with so-and-so, and he or she isn't a believer, and they're, and they're living a horrible life, but I'm sure I can change them, what do you think my counsel is going to be to them? Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Black and white. And again, because am I violating God's will? No. God's moral will is what it is. Okay. Should an unbeliever be yoked with, an un, uh, with a believer? No. There, there's just no room to wiggle there. Uh, the Ten Commandments, which I think Norm brought up, you know, is a good, you know, there are directive wills that, and, and it goes into, notice what I said there, what he's already revealed to us, that we don't have to guess at. And isn't that wonderful? And that covers a great portion of our life. And here's another thing I want you to understand, because oftentimes when I talk, about God's directive will, God's commandments. 
People have a tendency to cower and go, oh, fear. God's commandments are for our good and our protection. God's commandments are because he loves us. When you tell your child, do not touch that hot stove, and you say it with conviction, that's love. Right? That's love. It isn't like God's going in heaven, oh, wait till I give him this one. Bam! That is so off of how God weeps for us. He loves us. He cares for us. And his, his wills are to save us from the destruction of sin. That's why he gives us his directive wills. Not to hurt us, but to help us because he cares for us. So we should embrace this, you know. When God says, thou shalt not this or that, that's a wonderful thing. It's not a prohibition. It's a, it's a salvation. So we need to see it that way. Um, and some of this will can only be found in the Bible. Uh, it can only be found in the Bible. There is no other book like the Bible, and there is no other book that is authoritative. Like The, the Bible is authoritative. It is the final authority for faith and life. So if we have directives in the scripture, it's so wonderful that we can go to those and we can counsel those things. Now, we're to do it in love, right? We're not to go up to somebody and go, bam. You know, I mean, let's do it in love. I mean, if we care for the souls of men and we care for our brothers and sisters, if they're erring and we can gently bring them back to a a loving truth, then that's what we want to do. And then again, noticing what he wants us to do. Knowing what he wants us to do. So the directive will is pretty straightforward. But then we get into God's decreed will. All right, We get into now not his directive will, but his decreed will. And what would that be? What would that be? Election. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those things that God has sovereignly put in place, right? Um, And... His ultimate, eternal, determined will. God determines some things. He decrees. When God said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a decreed will, isn't it? God decreed that that would happen. And it did. Now, what, what's the one thing we always know 100% of the time about God's decreed will? What do we know about it? It's perfect. It's perfect, and that's true. And what? It's going to happen. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. It's going to happen. When God decrees something, it never gets messed up. So unlike us, right? I decree all kinds of things, but you know, my decrees don't always make it out the front door. But God's decrees never fail. They're always going to come true all the time uh, without fail. And whatever God decrees, he will decree. And that will be a decreed truth throughout eternity. It's an ultimate, the ultimate will of God. Now, where this becomes important for us in counseling is when we're talking about decreed will, notice it cannot be determined, it cannot be known in advance. It cannot be known in advance. Now, there are many decreed wills you're saying, but wait a minute, we, we knew that God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, we read that in the Bible, we, we know that. Well, that, we didn't know it in advance. That has been already, hasn't it? Um, what I'm saying by this is most of God's will has been decreed in the past. God is not making up new things, right? The total revelation of Scripture, the total canon of Scripture is complete, right? 
So God's revealed will to us isn't going to change, is what I'm saying. All right? Um, and so when we say that it cannot be determined, that it cannot be known in advance, what we want to understand is when someone comes to us and says, you know, I really think I should marry so-and-so um, because God has, has told me that they would get saved. And I know that this is going to happen. We can't know that, right? So in other words, what we're saying is, in counseling, when we're talking about the will of God, we don't want to make presumptions upon God until His will is revealed in some areas of, of our lives, right? Now, there's many times when we say something like this, we're waiting upon the Lord, right? We're waiting. Is, it, is that a legitimate thing to say? Absolutely. I don't think there's ever a day that I'm not waiting on the Lord for something. <laughs> you? you know, so, but, I, but if I get presumptuous and I say, well, I know God's going to do this or that. Or he's going to do... See, then I get ahead of myself and, and then I begin to presume upon God. And this is what happens. And then it becomes my will instead of God's will. And how many times in life have you thought you were going to go one way and God gave you that hard left turn? <laughs> right? George. To the point where um, the Bible talks about if, if uh, a spouse as an unbeliever, mm -hmm. that he would act a certain way that he might get saved. Absolutely. Absolutely. That he might. Absolutely. That's a, a great example. Thank you for that. So, the implication of all this is, of course, most of, it, most of us want God's decreed will, right? Because... How many times have we said this? If God just would just tell me. <laughs> don't we hear that all the time? I say that sometimes in my own heart. God, if you just tell me, you know. I don't care what it is, just tell me. You know, we get in arguments over eschatology or other things. God, just tell me. Whatever it is, I can handle. Just tell me. Um, so most of us want God's decreed will. Um, let's see, do we have time to look up... Um, yeah, let's have somebody, can we look up those verses? Um, everybody, okay, go ahead, James 4.15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Okay, so what a great practical thing. If the Lord wills, we'll do this and that. In fact, I think it's good to end a lot of prayers the Lord willing. Mm -hmm. Ryan. Question. Yes. So you're saying most people want God's decreed will. Right. The one that we can't know. Rather than his directed will, where he tells us exactly what to do. Yeah, we well, we want the decreed will because we want to have him tell us what we want to hear. But see, what it's saying is, is that the implications are that we shouldn't so much worry about what God may or may not decree. We should worry about what He declares. We should. Uh, does that make sense? What I'm saying is, is that. Most of us don't look hard enough at God's directive will, but rather are trying to figure out what his decreed will is, or we want to say what his decreed will may be. And as we read in James, we need to wait upon the Lord. Okay, 1 Corinthians 4.19, who's got that? Go ahead. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will... And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Okay. We're not patient people, are we? Mm -hmm. You know, this is one of my most glaring weaknesses, I think, in, in my character, is 
I really am working on patience like 24-7, you know? Um, so I have to really discipline myself to wait on the Lord sometimes because I think I have it all figured out. Any of you have that problem? <laughs> Ephesians 5.17. Thank you. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, so here we see that implication of waiting on the Lord, of not imposing on Him, um, of waiting. So we don't maybe know in advance. We don't really know what God may be doing, so we need to wait. Romans 12, 2. Anybody have that? Josh? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is Okay, good. And that kind of leads us right back to God's directive will, doesn't it? In a sense. Is it safe to say that we should not be seeking to understand God's decree will until we know for sure that we have followed his directive? Amen. That's exactly what I'm saying. Very well put. Yes. Very well put. Okay. Now we get down, let's get down then to the permissive will of God, okay? And when we talk about the permissive will of God, we're talking basically about what God allows to happen. Uh, what he allows to happen. And let's have somebody look up those verses if we could. If you can see those okay on the bottom. And let's talk about that for just a moment. Who's got uh, Mark? <clears throat> okay. So he gave them permission Okay, so we see that, remember the demons were put into the pigs and there was a request there. 1 Corinthians 7, 6 and 7, yes. Now with the concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and of one of another. Okay, so the Apostle Paul, first of all, is talking about, I wish everyone was as I was, and how was Paul? He was... This is in the context of marriage, but Paul was what? Single. Single. So he said, I wish all were as I am. Why would he say that? Because why? You've got, got more time to serve the Lord. But he's not saying that being married is wrong. Being married is a wonderful thing. So he's saying, I wish you were like me, only because you could serve God more. But if you can't, so we see there's leeway there. Okay, how about 8.8? Eight, eight? Yes. Uh, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. Okay, so when it comes to food, do we have some leeway there? Yeah, right? I mean, you know, remember the issue of offering food to idols and the Corinthian church, they got all bent out of shape because some were offering. And it said, look, the food isn't evil. Uh, you know, the, the attitude of your heart. Okay, how about 10, 23, 1 uh, Corinthians 10, 23? Yes? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things are Okay, you know, this gets into the realm of Christian liberty a little bit, doesn't it? You know, there are some things that are lawful. We can do it. <clears throat> um, it would fall under God's permissive will, but they may not be profitable. Um, and so we have to consider those things. But when we talk about God's permissive will, we have to suggest that there are some things that are, I guess the best word we could use, we could say they are amoral. It isn't necessarily right or wrong. There may be things that are going to determine our decision, but there are, there are Christian liberties and responsibilities that were given in Christ, okay? Um, so let's look then at the place of the Bible in decision-making. If that's true, uh, what place does the Bible have in making decisions for us? 
First of all, we have to understand the difference between the Bible speaking directly and indirectly. We have to see the difference between the Bible speaking directly and indirectly. There are many times that the Bible speaks very directly to us, and I think we've already talked about that. Thou shalt not murder. Not much you can do with that. There are other times when the Bible speaks to us indirectly. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not marry this person until November 9th. Right? I mean, I've tried to look for that verse and I can't find it. So there are principles and precepts that guide us. So we need to know three propositions about biblical guidance. First of all, there is no way to know God's will and receive his guidance apart from Scripture. We must use the Word of God. This is God's love letter to us. This is God's revelation to us. And it is pure folly on the part of a Christian to try to discern God's will apart from the guidance of Scripture. If it is the final authority for faith and life, then we need to use it. Secondly, there are scriptural principles and practices to cover all areas of life. I have never found in counseling there is any area of life, any situation that people have been in that the Bible doesn't address. Now, I'm not saying this to be a wise guy, but there is nothing you can think of in your mind that we have in counsel. If you can think it, we've dealt with it. So I'll leave it at that. And I have never yet seen an area where the Bible doesn't speak. Okay, where I've said man alive. I mean, many times I've said man alive. (laughs) But the Bible does speak to us in all areas. And thirdly, there are scriptural principles and practice, uh, excuse me, the scriptures speak directly and indirectly by implication. They speak directly and indirectly by implication. Um, Sometimes they give us yes or no. The implications of what we read are yes and no. Um, so, how about, um, how about this implication? Well, you know, I'm, I'm desperately poor, and I was in a store, and, uh, and the teller left $10 on the cash register, and, you know, I really think that God would want me to have this. No. Okay, because were you, no, the answer is no. The implication is thou shalt not steal, right? So... While it may not address, where's that book? Look up cash registers in your concordance. Is there anything in there? I don't think so. <laughs> but there's an implication there, okay? Sometimes it's yes or no. Sometimes it's either or. You know, sometimes we have choices that aren't wrong either way. Um you know, it was really interesting. Before I came to faith, when I was, I was candidating in a church in Boise, Idaho. And I had done a family conference out there for a good friend of mine. And uh, he hit me with a shocker over a campfire one night and said, you know, I'm going to be stepping down for personal reasons and the elders want you to take this church. <laughs> you know, I was just there for a conference. I, I was, you know, just, just a speaker there. And I was, uh, I was shocked, you know, and I... And they said, you know, you think tomorrow you could interview with the elders? And I said, well, I'd like to really talk to my wife about this, you know. And um, so I met with them, and it went well. And, you know, it really looked like, you know, that was going to be where I was going to go. And, um, 
And I had candidated at Faith, and I hadn't heard anything from Faith for like two months. So I thought, well, they probably got somebody else. You know, I, I just figured they got somebody else. Anyway, to make a long story short, they, uh, the Idaho, obviously, pastor fell through, and I got a call from Faith, and they extended a call to me like the next day. So it was like, but you know, as we prayed through this, if I had felt like this was where we were going to go, I wouldn't see that as a wrong decision, you know, I mean, but it, it could have been an either or, but God directed, praise the Lord, you know, and, and you know, we depend on this, that man plans his ways, but what, the Lord directs his steps, right? Yes. So here I am, good, bad, or ugly, here I am. <laughs> Yes. Um, feel guilty if they don't do like oversight missions. Yes, right. Because yeah. it's so much more hard, it's more difficult. Right. Um, but I mean, you yeah. could be in a very safe place to do missions. Yeah. It wouldn't be right yeah. And I would take issue with the fact that overseas missions is harder than missions here. <laughs> <laughs> it's different. Uh, but yeah, that's right. I mean, that absolutely, sure. Okay, so let's move on. I know our time is, uh, is it 10.05 already? Yeah, man. I'm not doing very well. Okay, so let's look for a minute at steps for good decision making. All right, how can we practically flesh this out? Well, first of all, we need to gather all the facts. <clears throat> One of the things that I teach are married couples when there's a conflict between a husband and wife is a concept called the conference table. And one of the steps in the conference table is to, first of all, go to the scriptures and find everything that you can find that's relevant to your situation. So you're going to the scriptures, and the first thing you're doing is you're asking, is there anything here that the Bible speaks to me directly about? So if I'm considering marrying an unbeliever, I know that I don't have to think too long about that, do I? Get all the information you can from the Word of God. Get the facts. Start there. Before you let your emotions take over, say, okay, Lord, you know what? You have written your Word to us, and I'm going to start there, and I'm going to see how much I can find in the Word of God. And here again, whoops, what you're doing is you're searching out, you're searching out all the principles, examples uh, of Scripture that might have a bearing on your decision, let me tell you another thing that is so incredibly important. Look, do character studies in the Bible. Study the life of Daniel. Study the life of Moses. Study the life of Paul. Study great men like Luther and George Whitfield. And you know what? It's amazing what you can learn when you do biographies. In other words, I'm always asking, okay, there have to be men in the Bible that are facing the same dilemma that I did. Because the heart is the same. Now, maybe it's a different circumstance, but how did they handle it? How did they handle it? And what did God say about what they did? You know, when calamity falls and when we don't understand, when my granddaughter got cancer, you know what? I took great comfort in the book of Job. Because I had the assurance that I don't have to understand why this is happening. But if we respond in righteousness that God is going to be honored through this, how did he handle it? Man, that was a great comfort to me. I wasn't on my own. So look at the scriptural principles, examples, people in the Bible that have gone through certain things. And then apply these to the pros and cons in the various options. So take what you learn and overlay it on your situation, okay? Just take it and overlay it on your situation. And see what it might teach you. 
Now, another thing, you may need to seek godly counsel. And isn't that the wonderful thing about being in the local church? You know, a lot of times we just aren't sure. And there is wisdom in a multitude of counsel, the Bible teaches us. So this is why we're here. And this is why membership in a local church is so important. Because what you're doing is you're saying, I'm putting myself under the authority of the leadership of the church, and I'm trusting that they're going to shepherd me according to biblical principles. So you have help. You know, many times the elders have sat down with people, and we've helped them work through issues or problems or situations, and we, and we try to do our best to, to, again, guide them with what we understand. Notice then, too, if narrowed down to two equally good decisions based on biblical principles, you may decide on the basis of preference. There are times when you have a preference. There are times when it can be A or B. Um, When I am in a situation where I feel that I'm making a decision based on preference, the thing that always comforts me, the thing that always assures me, again, is knowing that while I plan my ways, God will direct my steps. And many times I've made a decision, and God has overridden that decision. <laughs> Anybody ever been there? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to go this way. Um, Josh, I thought of you. You know, Josh is auditioning for different colleges for his master's for music, and he's going to like four or five different schools I know, and he's doing auditions. Hope I'm not embarrassing you, Josh. But if I am, I repent. But I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, so anyway, um, you know, it's, it's so funny. At the end of this, you know, Josh may have a preference. I think this might be the one. And God may say, no, Josh, this is going to be the one. Mm. You know, so it happens all the time. Happens all the time. Okay, so let's, um, let's look. <clears throat> Some principles that will help you narrow options more than others. Okay, can somebody read those verses in Proverbs 13 for us? Okay, we have a little bit of time. I think we can maybe. 1324? Yes. Can we read 13? Yes. Yeah. No, just, I don't care. Just read them both, yeah. All right, 1320. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Okay. And 24. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Okay, let's take the first example first. If you're struggling with a decision, it is always wise to seek godly counsel. Okay? I mean, don't discount that. That's very important. And, you know, um, when you... For parents, for example, that, that one of the big things... And the reason I brought that verse up is because one of the big things is spanking today. Okay? Parents are really divided on spanking, and they shouldn't be. And for the life of me, I can't understand why. Uh, the Bible is very clear. You know, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of correction will drive it far from it. Now, how that works. But here again, those are principles in Scripture that will help you make decisions, right? This should be a no-brainer. There's nothing to decide. <coughs> okay, there may be more than one legitimate option. Psalm 37.4. Anybody have that? Got it. Okay, go ahead. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the I love that. You know what? Is it right to pray for your desires? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Some of you may have prayed for a godly husband or a godly wife. Some of you may be praying for other people. Some of you may be praying for certain things. Listen, it is good to ask. You know, Jesus said you have not because you ask not. It is wonderful to pray. God, at many, many times, grants the desires of your heart. 
And, you know, again, we serve a loving God. And this isn't to presume upon God. It's not to say, well, God, if I ask it, you know, health and wealth, I mean, I'm, I'm going to name it and claim it. That's not what we're saying. But it is good to pray the desires of your heart. Yeah, this verse has been uh, misunderstood in many uh, areas. That, you know, it, it's the reverse. They say, well... The Lord's going to give me the desires that I have in my heart, as opposed to, like you said, exactly. pray yeah. more the desires of our heart. Absolutely. No. Now, there may be times when God does put a desire in our heart, but, you know, we pray the desires of our heart. And, you know, when, and God delights in that, and when, you know, they're in line with his word and they are the right kinds of desires, then God often grants those. Pastor, you already qualified it, because at the end of the day, you pray like Jesus did to the garden, may it be your will. May it be yeah. your will, that's yeah. it. If it's your will, Lord, that's it. Exactly, George, that if, it, if it's your will, Lord, if it's your will. So that's a, a great truth. Okay, so where am I here? Okay, illustrations of the principles. And I just used marriage as an example, okay? Millage, what is millage? Remember that? Okay, never mind, you guys are Okay, so, yeah. this is why I'm not a comedian, because you know, I'm, I'd, I'd starve to death. Yeah. Okay, the first thing is, let's just say you're deciding about marriage. The first thing you want to do is take a look at single life. Am I happy in my singleness? Am I content in my singleness? Am I wanting to get married because mom told me so? Or because my girlfriend said, oh, he's so cute. Or because, you know, maybe uh, he makes a lot of money. What are my motives here, okay? Am I content in my singleness or not? So you take a look at that. Secondly, define biblical standards for potential marriage partner. Okay, so... Uh, as a believer in Christ, is he or her a person who holds high value for the word of God? Are, is he or she living for the <clears throat> glory of God? Is this person wanting to be serious about their faith? Evaluate person's sensitivity to biblical authority and influence. How much is the Bible a part of this individual's life? I mean, when you're determining the will of God, these are important things to know. And how different is this kind of... Uh, procedure different from those who might say, oh, you know, I know God would want this person for me. You see? We, we're using his principles. I'll look for evidence of spiritual growth, obedience to the word. You know, all of these things are important. These are things that I discuss usually in one way or another in, in premarital counseling. I want to make sure that when people are coming together, they've thought through these things. Uh, look for principles of solving problems biblically. What does this person do when things are bad? You know, I want to see that person not in their best days, but on their worst days. I want to see how they handle that. I want to see how they handle different life situations. I want to know how they are. When we're looking for an elder, I want to see what that elder's life looks like on the worst day of his life. And I want to make sure that he's qualified to shepherd the church on the worst day of his life. Not just on the best day of his life. I want to see that individual and for leadership that we're considering in all different arenas. I want to see how they handle themselves. If more than one option remains, again, choose your preference. There may be. Now, I'll have to go through this quickly because we are pretty much out of time. But when I talk about here at the end here, misunderstanding God's will, and you can look up these verses, but <clears throat> leading, um, oftentimes spiritual growth is mistaken for decision-making. We, we all grow spiritually. In other words, spiritually we're growing in the knowledge of God, and that's a good thing. But let's not mistake 
just plain spiritual maturity for decision making, okay? Like, I know, this, I, I know God would want me to do this because I know His Word. So we can impose upon that. So we have to be careful that we're not leading the Holy Spirit before the Holy Spirit leads us. The second thing is, is peace. We should have peace. Uh, peace helps us to solve problems biblically, but it's not necessarily decision making, okay? I have a peace about it. Don't we often hear that? You know, I made this decision to have a peace. Well, it's good you have peace, but that may not be the qualifier for the right way to make a decision. And then uh, circumstances, and we've already talked about circumstances. Be very careful about, Job was in the worst circumstances ever. You know, so, and he was right where God wanted him. So we have to be careful about using circumstances first. And then the holding principle, when you go to Romans 14, is literally talking about do not be governed by the tyranny of immediacy. I've got to make a decision now. Um, listen, sometimes we have to wait on the Lord. So hold off. Make sure that you don't shortchange yourself or take a shortcut because it could cost you a lot of grief and heartache if you do that. Okay? Hold on. Let the Lord speak to you through His Word. Counsel if you need to. Look at godly principles. Put it before the Lord in prayer. Absolutely. But don't feel rushed. Especially if it's a very important decision. Okay. I'm sorry we don't have time for questions. If you disagree with me, too bad. Um, no. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I have to be careful what I say here because, you know, some people like, if we had any visitors in here, they go, well, what an arrogant pastor that guy is. Yeah. So... I guess I should have turned the recorder off before.